has this come to? What have I done? Who was I trying to be? But that would only begin my life of crime. We had our first child. I needed to get to work, started working full time. A lot of pressure on me. And so the drug use escalated. My favorite drug became available to me, and that was violence. I got to a point where I craved it. I loved it. And that got me into a lot of trouble. Very shortly after I got saved, the first place I went to minister uh, was a prison. It was actually a long weekend, a Friday through Sunday. I went to five prisons in California. Probably the most scariest thing I ever did in my life. Every time I we went to a prison, there was some complication about getting in. And we would pray that the devil would be defeated and we would be able to get in. And I would go on the side by myself and pray that if God didn't want me in, it was okay because I was so scared. But in the prison, it's amazing ministry because the guys and the women are in such need. When you go to a prison, it's probably one of my favorite places to minister because when you say all have sinned, everybody says amen because they get it. You go to a Christian school, which is probably my least favorite place to go. They, They've heard it all day and they're like, whatever, whatever. But when you go to prison, people are so in touch with their sin because they are surrounded by the fruit of their sin. They're confined. If you think of a prison as someplace you're confined, your rights and your liberties are taken away to punish you, you're constantly reminded of your faults. You're surrounded by drug dealers and dope fiends and murders, murderers and rapists. And if you commit a crime against children or women, you get segregated because you're a marked person because... Those crimes are considered lower than the low. And what's ironic about all the people who are in prison, all the people who are confined and had their freedoms taken away, they got there because they were doing something they thought would make them more free. They committed a crime against someone. They stole something. They did something illegal thinking they were empowering themselves when, in fact, they were enslaving themselves. Now, you may not know somebody in a physical prison, in a physical jail, but I guarantee you, you know somebody in a spiritual prison. It's called sin. We all have are in a prison in our heart in some form or fashion where we are trying to please God, trying to know God, trying to do what God wants us to do, but we can't. And what's ironic about everybody you know who's in a spiritual prison at some level, they also got there doing something they thought would make them free called sin, doing what we want to do. The question is, do you want to be free? And I want to read something to you because the Bible is going to talk about two different kinds of prisons or two different kinds of slaves that are in bondage. One is a slave onto sin and death. And the other one is a slave onto righteousness. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourself a slave, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked, and though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in terms, human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. 
The question is, do you want to be free? Just as everybody in a physical prison did something to get here, so everyone in spiritual bondage, in a spiritual prison, did something to get there. The question is, do you want to be free from your spiritual bondage? Or are you willing to do what it takes to be liberated and be set free? So as my drug and alcohol use escalated, my violence escalated, uh, putting myself in situations where nothing but bad things were probably going to happen. I got arrested, uh, assault and battery, paid restitutions, paid fines, uh, did weekends in, in county, washed a thousand sheriff cars, all that kind of stuff, but none of it slowed me down. None of it, none of it really affected me. Until my, my uh, substance abuse and my violence collided in, uh, in a way that I got some blood on my hands. Going inside, it's uh, if you're just surrounded by a bunch of other men who are angry, prone to violence. We were concentrated in one area, and so that environment kind of magnified my, my violence, my black heart. It got it even darker. I actually think I thrived inside. I think that was the environment that I felt like I deserved, to be in here with a bunch of other knuckleheads just beating each other up and being mean. And it was kind of where I think I felt like I fit in. I didn't need any approval in here. I didn't want any of these guys' approval. Uh, to me, there were no bad days inside other than missing my family. It might sound really weird, but I felt at home. I didn't have to worry about getting up and going to work. They told you when to eat, what you're gonna eat, when you can shower, where you can shower. They, they did your whole day for you, and you could spend all your time just being that guy, being who you thought you wanted to be. I am fascinated by the fact that if I meet a family with two kids or more than one kid, it's so ironic how different the kids can be though they have the same parents, same house, same neighborhood. And usually there's one kid who's goody two shoes, wants to do everything right, play by the book. And then there's another kid who's a rebel, always want to get in trouble and break the rules, completely opposite. And it's ironic because they have the same family, same parents. You know, there are two kinds of slaves in the Bible. There's a slave onto righteousness, one who has voluntarily surrendered himself to God. And there's a slave onto sin, one who serves self slash devil. I want to read this to you. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself a slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You are either a slave leading to death. You're either serving someone that's going to eventually kill you and destroy your life, or you are serving someone who's going to give you life. A slave to sin, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about a slave to sin. John 8, 34 says that when you sin, you become a slave to sin. Second Peter 2, 19 talks about a slave of corruption. 
Ephesians 2.1 talks about being dead in transgressions and sins. In other words, you are spiritually dead. You don't have the capacity to do good. You are a slave to bad. 1 Timothy 3.7 and 2 Timothy 2.26 talk about being ensnared by the devil. You are enslaved by the devil. So either you're enslaved by the devil or you are God's slave. A God's slave is a little different because when you are God's slave, you have voluntarily said, I am going to serve God. I'm going to lay my life down and do whatever he wants me to do. Romans chapter 1, Galatians, Paul talks about himself as being a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He has surrendered his life to Christ. He is a slave by choice. James 1.1, James refers to himself as a bond servant. He is a slave by choice. 2 Peter 1.1, Peter talks about himself as a bond servant, a slave by choice. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 refers to Jesus as a bond servant. So either you are a slave unto sin or you are a slave unto righteousness. A slave unto sin, your life is full of despair, self-destruction, discouragement. You want to do good, but you cannot do good. A slave onto righteousness is you want to do things that God wants you to do. You want to read your Bible and you can. You want to pray. You want to serve others. You're other-centered. But how do you know the difference? It's about Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler. I was arguing uh, absolute truth with somebody, and they were saying there's no such thing as absolute right or wrong, and how can you prove that something's right or wrong? And I said, well, if there's no absolute truths, that means that Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler are the same, that neither one is better or worse than the other. But if you think about those two, Mother Teresa was all about life. She was all about giving people dignity in their life. And Adolf Hitler represents death. The difference between right and wrong is life and death. If your life is consistent with death and things in your life are dying and despair and dark, you are probably a slave onto sin. If your life is all about you and putting other people down, you're, you are probably a slave onto sin. But if you are all about life and positive and helping people and encouraging people and obeying God and promoting God's purpose, you are probably a slave onto righteousness. Which slave do you want to be? Because you are going to serve someone. You're either going to serve God onto righteousness and life or you're going to serve the devil onto death. All the time that I spent in jail or prison, I wasn't that guy who said, when I get out, things are going to be different. Because I knew that they weren't. I knew that when I get out, it was going to be a matter of hours or days before I used meth again. I accepted the fact that I was a drug addict. I would tell people, I'm a drug addict. My dad was a drug addict. And if you got a problem with it, you don't have to hang out with me. That was my mentality. I've never, I never said, um, it's going to be different when I get out. Because that was the life that I lived. I felt, and I said this before and I'll say it again, I felt like I was on this earth to use drugs and sell drugs. As crazy as that sounds, that's what I believed. I knew I was going to be going to jail. And I started having drugs sent in uh, to jail. But they caught me. So... While I was in jail, I got caught with drugs. After I got caught, I realized, I go, what am I doing? 
I'm in jail, they have me, I'm not going home. So I start having the thing that got me in jail, sent in there, taking these crazy risks to get high in jail. It made absolutely no sense, but nothing was gonna stop me from doing it. I was in Costa Rica learning Spanish and it was there for two weeks, had a great time. And one of the ways to learn Spanish, obviously, is to ask people, how do you say this? How do you say that? And I asked someone, how do you say girlfriend? And they said, novia, novio. And then they said, there's a term called amigo con derechos. Now, I know amigo is friend, con is with, but they didn't know the word derechos. And derechos means rights. So I put them together, it says, friend with rights. Ooh, that means you're not really committed to each other. You have just given somebody rights over you for a specific period of time. So that means you can have several amigo con derechos, several friends with rights. And when you give a friend rights, you are saying to that friend, I have an obligation to you. I made an agreement with you that on certain days, certain times, or whenever we're together, you have certain authority over me to do certain things because I'm agreeing to that. And in that agreement, you have an obligation. Some of you have an amigo con derechos relationship with the devil. In other words, when you have a situation like stress or you're angry or you're frustrated, instead of going to God for advice, you have decided to trust the devil to give you counsel on how to deal with your stress, how to deal with your problems. And when you do that, you are making an agreement with the devil that I am trusting you to guide and direct me. I am placing myself into your care. And what's very dangerous about that is that with whoever you have an amigo con derechos relationship with, you are given that person or entity authority over you. Power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to do it. And you are telling the devil, listen, I'm giving you the right to guide and direct me. I'm giving you the right and the license to counsel me. And once you do that, you are placing yourself into their care. It's like saying, I'm going to drink alcohol to solve my problems. You are telling the alcohol, care for me, make me feel good. You're going to give pornography your care. You're going to say, pornography, I'm going to, you, I want you to make me feel good. You are placing yourself in the care of pornography. You are placing yourself in the care of cocaine. You are placing yourself in the care of anger and violence. And once you do that, you are surrendering yourself to that. There's a very interesting passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul is going to tell the people to turn someone over to, de to the devil. He's actually giving the devil authority in this person's life because they would not repent. You want to be very careful that when you make a relationship and decide to be a slave of the devil, that you realize that you are surrendering yourself into his care. Let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, you're bragging about it. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has done such a deed. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not there, but I'm telling you right now it's wrong. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one as to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying here is that the devil will have authority over this person. When you voluntarily sin, you are saying, Lord, I am surrendering myself as a slave to death. 
You are making an agreement with evil. And that evil will call you, your alcohol will call you, pornography will call you, cocaine will call you, and it is calling your name so it can destroy you and enslave you. Methamphetamine for me was like the devil living inside of me. And I'll tell you why. Because methamphetamine, to my knowledge, is the only drug that will steal the soul away from your body, but whisper in your ear that everything is okay. Everything is the way that it's supposed to be. You're right where I need you. Everything is gonna work out. And I just keep smoking and keep selling and keep doing all this stuff to my, I'm losing weight, my life is a mess, I got nobody, the closest people around me leave me, you know, it's a spiritual prison, and Satan is the warden, and he wants nothing more than to keep people right where he wants them, and right where he has them. When I came out, a couple years later, I still had the violence in me but I was clean and sober. The violence was my, still my drug of choice. I didn't know then that I was still imprisoned in my mind. My body walked out, I was a free man, but I was still in chains. I just didn't know it. You know, once I got clean and sober, I think a lot of people expected a big change in me. I, think, I really think they did, I probably did as well. But that, that, that was just, a, that was just a chemical thing. I mean, I'm, I was grateful to be clean and sober, but uh, my still, my real prison, uh, my real drug was still alive and well. I just walked around um, still in chains uh, to my violence. And my violence now, I, I know, was go, went back to approval. One day I was reading a book in a room and as I read the book, it got dark outside and I didn't have a light on. The next thing I know, I'm reading in a half dark room and my wife walks in and she says, do you want me to turn the light on? I said, no, I could see fine. And then she turned the light on it and I, then I realized how dark it had gotten in the room. A lot of times we get so comfortable with spiritual darkness, we don't even realize we're sitting in the dark. In other words, how comfortable has it become for you to curse? How comfortable has it become for you to gossip and tear someone's character down without knowing anything what you're talking about? How comfortable has it been for you to watch pornography on your phone right in your house with your wife sitting next to you? We get so comfortable doing things because it's a process. People don't start using heroin first day. They usually start with something like cigarettes or marijuana. It's a process. People don't start stealing cars day one. It's a process. The devil is very, very slick, and he will lure you in to enslaving your whole life a little bit at a time. I want to challenge you right now to look at your life and ask where you're at with God. What is your language like? What are your, what's your thought life like? How far have you drifted from God's holy standard in your life? And then ask yourself, how did you get there? I'm going to tell you how you got there. Very very, very slowly. The question today is not how you got there, but how you're going to get out. And I want to challenge you to ask yourself, are you in a place where you want to be are you, or have you drifted very slowly and gradually too far from God? And is it time to say, Lord, that is enough. 
I want to start following Jesus with my whole life. Six months later, after my wife continued to invite me to go with her to church every Sunday, and me telling her, no, thank you, I don't need that, she had developed a relationship, her relationship with Jesus during my last incarceration. And so when I got out, she was just kept loving me and inviting me and inviting me and inviting me, and I kept saying no. I finally accepted her offer in June, six months after I'd gotten out. We were pretty much broken financially, um, looking at a foreclosure, everything just spinning out of control for me. I think I was finally at the point where I was ready for something. Went to, uh, went to service, and that was the day my life started to change. Stumbled quite a bit. I still do. Um, but that's where I, God began to peel the layers from me. My issues have always been approval-based. That's where my violence came from. That's where my trying to fill that hole. I needed approval. I needed approval. I needed approval. And now I know I am approved. I'm a son of God. I'm a, I'm a prince. You know, my daddy's a king. Um, 28 years clean and sober, five years saved, three years violence-free. Three years. I have not laid a hand on a man in violence. Now I hug men. Now I love men. That's kind of weird for me. But I know that's God. That's God changing changing me. Um, he has provided me with a wonderful, wonderful wife. We've been together coming up on 39 years. The grace of God has revealed to me that I am approved and uh, the violence is not required, not necessary anymore. Uh, I'm free. I'm no, no more bars, no more bars. No more prison, no more incarceration. My mind's no longer incarcerated. My heart's no longer incarcerated. After I surrendered to God, for the first time ever, I felt home. And it didn't matter what church I was at. It didn't matter where I was. I just knew something had happened in my heart. And for the first time, I felt an undescribable love that God had for me. I know now that I wasn't created to do time in prison. I know now that I wasn't created to be addicted to drugs. I know now that God created me to walk in the fullness of who he created me to be. I was created and designed to worship God and today I'm forgiven and free. And I know now that the only thing that let me out of that prison was Jesus Christ. You know, here at the Rock Church, Miles is always talking about using what you've been through, what the devil intended to kill you. Miles encourages us to use it for the glory of God. I love going into the prison. 
and I love sharing my story of hope. I lead the prison ministry at The Rock where we go into Donovan, we go into George Bailey, we go into these facilities around San Diego, and we just share our stories of hope with these guys. People are getting saved, lives are being changed. I also lead an international prison ministry, which is my passion. We go to different countries and we go into prisons and we share our stories of hope and we implement a discipleship curriculum that helps convicts break the cycle of addiction and bondage in their lives. If you ever watch TMZ, you'll see that uh, it seems fashionable sometimes for celebrities to get arrested. It's like almost like they get arrested on purpose just so they can seem cool. And they go to jail for a couple of nights or a week or whatever, and then they get out. They don't go to prison, they go to jail. And you could be in jail for a couple of weeks and deal with that, but jail is not prison. It's not long-term incarceration. There's nothing fashionable and fun about that. Our life here on earth is like jail, it's just temporary. But there is a long-term spiritual prison that we are facing called hell. The Bible says that hell was a place designed to punish the devil for all his evil. Imagine how bad that prison is. Weeping and gnashing and grinding teeth forever, nonstop. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the penalty of sin is death. That death is spiritual prison in hell with the devil. Matthew 25 says that hell was created for the devil and anybody else who wants to go with him. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the penalty of sin is death. That death is with the devil in hell. If you don't want to go there, if you don't want to spend your, jail, your time on earth in jail, which is a precursor to the eternal prison that was created for the devil, all you have to do is surrender yourself as a slave of righteousness to Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Surrender yourself voluntarily as a bondservant to Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sin. And he will forgive you of your sin, take residency in your heart via the Holy Spirit, and you will become his servant willingly, voluntarily, in order to be the best decision you ever made. So if you would like to become a servant, a slave, a bondservant of Christ, onto righteousness and life. Pray this prayer with me. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Bow your heads and close your eyes and pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart. If you would like to surrender your life to Christ and become a servant of Christ, in the privacy of your heart, pray, Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and I believe my sin is wrong and I believe the penalty is death in an eternal prison in hell but I want to live and exist in heaven Jesus I believe you died for my sin and rose from the dead please forgive me of my sin come live in my heart and be my Savior and my Lord I surrender my life to you as your servant your bond servant a slave unto righteousness. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to stand up. If you prayed that prayer, what you're saying is now I serve Christ. I am his servant, his slave, his bond servant. I do what he says and he only. 
So if you pray that prayer, I'm going to count to the three. And when I say three, if you pray that prayer, you're saying, yes, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. I want you to stand to your feet, not worried about what anybody thinks. So if you pray that prayer on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand on one, two, three. Stand up. Stand up. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Very good. God bless you. God Keep bless standing. You. If you made that decision, go ahead and stand your feet. I see you standing all over the room. God bless you. Very good. God bless you. Very good. Keep standing all over the room. In a second, those of you who made that decision to trust God with your life today, or maybe it's that time where you said, Lord, this is it. We're going to ask you to come forward in a minute. And if you're standing in the, the balconies, you can turn around. Our ushers will help you come down. You can grab your things with your family. We know it takes a lot of faith to trust the Lord with your life. We're going to pray um, in this moment. Really, this is your chance to tell the enemy, Satan, that my life belongs to Jesus. And so uh, right now, if you're standing in Rock Family, would you help me get them down here? Why don't you come on down? We want to celebrate with you. Come on forward. Amen. Family, help me out. Help encourage him. God bless you. I have you guys come right here. Good morning. God bless you guys. How are you? God bless you. God bless you. Come on this way, right here in the middle, guys. God bless you. God bless you. Very good. I'm going to invite the, the, the rest of you that are here just to stay in this moment as we're going to, we're going to pray and encourage them in a second. But for you that, that came forward, just a reminder, just uh, one of the verses that Pastor Miles gave us in Galatians 5. He said, it's for Christ, for freedom's sake that Christ set us free, but don't continue again to live in that yoke of slavery. Basically meaning that Christ died to set you free from whatever it is that is on your heart, whatever got you down here this morning. Don't go back to that. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection. All things are, are brand new. So, family, we're going to pray for them. And then we're going to ask you guys to go in this room. We want to give you a Bible if you need one. We want to give you some next steps. If you need someone to pray with, we're going to give you the opportunity. So, family, would you just pray with me as we bless them? Father, we thank you for this time this morning where we get to just reflect on our lives and say, God, we do want to be set free. All of us want to be set free, not just those that came forward this morning. But we pray in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Uh, we ask that. Uh, for our friends that came down this morning, Lord, when you, when you uh, go with them this morning, that they will begin to walk in your grace, that they will uh, run away from their past lives and begin to live in this new life of, of freedom. For Christ's sake, you died for us. So, Lord, we just pray a blessing on them. Holy Spirit, would you guide them and direct them? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, we love you guys. Would you come this way with us, please?